Hi. Hi. This is my sister-in-law, Tiffany Corbett. Um, we've been trying to do this for a minute, and we're three hours late. But you know, <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. So today, we want to talk about secondary infertility. Um, most people don't even know that it's a thing, but it's a thing. Right, Tiffany? It's definitely a thing. <laughs> So I like to start off by doing um, a little icebreaker. So it's three questions. You just give me an answer. Ready? Yes. Target or Walmart? Walmart. Waffle House or IHOP? IHOP. And what's your superpower? Love. Hmm. <laughs> That's a good one. I felt that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, I want to just, let's just get into it. So I want to start out by asking you, um, what age did you get your cycle? Oh, way back. Um, (laughs) I was like 12. Okay. That's considered old now. Oh my God. (laughs) Most. Most kids are getting that like nine, which is scary. Right. Absolutely. I remember when I got I got my cycle at twelve and all my friends had their cycle before me and I pretended I lied. So I pretended that I had my cycle when I didn't have it. So I could like fit in. That's crazy, right? Well, I understand that because I remember not having mine and we were at the beach, but some of my peers had theirs and they were like, we can't get in the water because our period is on and I didn't have it. So I was like, okay, well, that sucks for you, but I can get in the water. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But at the same time, I felt like I missed out on something. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And who educated you about your cycle like did you get like this whole talk conversation did they do it at school like how did you learn about your body I learned bits and pieces from here there and everywhere no one sat me down and talked about anything so when it actually happened I have an older sister who had pads And I just did what I needed to do to figure it out. I didn't even tell my mom. She Mm -hmm. found my underwear and that's how she knew. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of where the shame started. Not even knowing that because mine was a similar situation except for like we did the little packet where the girls, we, we did a class at school. So the girls go one way, the boys go the other. They give you like this little booklet and this like starter kit. But you, it wasn't enough information to really know what's going on. Mm. And I don't remember a conversation like when my cycle first came on, I hid it from my mom because I thought I did something wrong. Mm. And I'm now thinking about like that was so not right. But right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know any better. And she probably did because my mom was a good mom, you know, but she probably did what she did. And I I remember waiting a whole day 
and I told her the next morning and I didn't even I didn't even verbally say anything. I just showed her. And then she was like, okay, so this is what you got to do. But I still knew nothing about my body. And that carried on with me for years. Like, until I, I like, went to college and I was doing my own, like, going to the doctor, getting pap smears and stuff. Like, I really still didn't really understand. I never got that conversation. So I I think that that just kind of perpetuates, you know, mm-hmm. through life. So I want to start out by you just giving us a small introduction about yourself, and then we're going to talk about infertility health. Well, again, my name is Tiffany Corbett. I um, am a mother to uh, biologically. I've had three children and I have two bonus daughters. So, um, I mean, that's just, I guess, a, a brief, quick who who I am. <laughs> okay. So you already had children, correct? So what is the space? What is the timeline between mm-hmm. your children? Your, I know all this stuff, guys. I'm just for the sake of me. <laughs> I'm asking these questions. So what is the age difference? So I had my first daughter at 16. Okay. I had my son, my first son at 18 and then I had my baby boy at 38 wow yeah that's the difference Mm -hmm. so I'm going to assume that you already have children so when you got married and you wanted to have another child you didn't realize you didn't think anything was wrong correct I did and I didn't so explain in between my husband and I, I was previously married. Um, and it might sound crazy, but at one point I didn't want to have any children with this particular guy. Okay. And I had an aunt that said, you need to pray that God closes your womb. And I said, wow. done and done. That is mm-hmm. exactly what I'm about to do because I don't, he, he I don't need to procreate with this person anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I did. And for years, I didn't have to be on birth control. I didn't need anything. And I was not getting pregnant. So I thought I could not have any more children. And then when we got together, um, one thing that our pastor at the time um, made a suggestion to the church was to write things out that we believe God for. And Mm -hmm. so I made a little faith book in the book. I talked about us getting married, blending our families, being active members of our church, but also to have a son. Mm -hmm. And that's when I really had a desire to have another child. Okay. So did you, when did you find out, something was wrong when I had my second miscarriage the first time I got pregnant I thought it was going to go like my other pregnancies Mm -hmm. going to be all the way see it through and then it seemed like as soon as we found out we were pregnant 
we were finding out we were losing the baby not long after. And then I thought that has to be like a one-time thing. This cannot happen to me again. Mm-hmm. And then we got pregnant again two years later. And I'm like, that's not going to happen again. So we definitely are going to carry this one all the way through. And that's not how that went either. And then after the second time, that's when my doctor was like, I think there's something wrong because you shouldn't be miscarrying these children at your age. Okay. And how long, how long would you get? Like how many weeks would you get? I didn't make it past eight weeks with either. Okay. So how did you know? Like, did you start spotting or did you just you just didn't feel right or you went in for an ultrasound? Like, how did you know that you were miscarrying? The first time I bled a lot. Okay. And the second time I remember taking my, me and my bonus daughters were at the movies and I picked up baby girl to help her wash her hands. And then I felt something. And I said, okay, y'all stand right here and I'm going to go check. And then I had some spotting, but it was brown. So I was like, okay, God. Yeah, that's. It could be happening again, but at least it's brown. Mm-hmm. So it's not red. It's not, you know, a lot like the first time. So I'm, I'm hoping, I'm praying everything is okay. Me and my mom, we go to the hospital and they say, it's got to be a um, threatened miscarriage. Just follow up with your doctor the next week. And so I'm still thinking I'm fine. Mm-hmm. But they did say when they did the ultrasound that the baby was measuring, the sack was measuring like five weeks. And I kept, mm-hmm. I think I should be <clears throat> further than that. Mm-hmm. And that's when the doctor's office confirmed like a week later that that's when, when the baby stopped growing. Got it. <clears throat> and they could never give you like a reason why they just said, Nope. Even when we saw a um, reproductive endocrinologist, I believe I said that right. It's probably RE. Mm-hmm. Um, my diagnosis was PCOS, uh, and that was after taking letharzol and stuff like that to see if that would help me get pregnant and stay pregnant. Did not get pregnant off Clomid, any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Once I saw the specialist, my diagnosis was just unexplained infertility. Okay. And explain what PCOS is. So your body goes through a cycle that should get rid of cysts and um, you get your cycle and then you, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You, uh, the thing you need to get pregnant, you, um, ovulate you ovulate Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know what people don't realize is that every month you may not ovulate Mm -hmm. so that and you ovulate on different sides I never knew I didn't know that either Mm -hmm. so you know you learn so much it's almost like you become a baby doctor Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. go through all of these things um but and then I went through all of that um, and my body wasn't completing the cycle. So that's why I didn't get a cycle every month. It may be three, four months. I don't have a cycle. And then all of a sudden, boom, I have one. 
but it doesn't mean after that fourth month that I even ovulated just because I got a cycle. Wow. See, I got PCOS, but I had it differently. I had it when I was doing IVF and my, basically my body was, my follicles were growing too fast Mm -hmm. and that's what gave me PCOS. So I had to stop taking the meds and they gave me birth control pills so that I could, my body could release all of that, but it didn't. It caused cysts. So then I had to start all over. They stopped my whole cycle and I had to start all over. And um, yeah, that's another story. But it's so many, it's other ways to also get it. But a lot of people suffer from that. That's why I wanted you to explain it. Wow. Yeah, it's definitely more prevalent than I thought. And I'm so glad more women are beginning to talk about it because I never heard of it prior Mm -hmm. to them telling me this is what you have and I remember writing it down and I was like I have to look this up and then there's so many large words and things that they say that you can barely understand that mm-hmm. your body's just not completing the cycle the way it should mm-hmm. and they don't really tell you most of the time if you have the miscarriage they just say this is the way of your body releasing because mm-hmm. something would be wrong and they don't really give you an explanation so they send you home like okay try again like no compassion no explanation because if you understood more if they explained more then you would at least know what you were dealing with but they don't they don't ever do that until you kind of press and I feel like I got more explanation about how to get rid of the second pregnancy than I did anything else well you can take a pill you can we can vacuum it out we can Mm. do this and we can do that and I'm like you're not doing any of those things Mm -mm. explain to me Mm. (laughs) but you're right what whatever happened in the midst of that wasn't nothing Mm -mm. wow okay so after your second miscarriage what did so what did you do then like we um so my gynecologist was a also supposedly a infertility specialist office as well mm-hmm. but basically referred me over to a specialist that that was all that they did because they said they didn't know what else to do after the clomid didn't work after the lether- letherzol didn't work and then i took in um in conjunction with the letherzol they had me take in um meclizine also to try and make my body do what it should do and it didn't um and they said well we don't know what else to do I went in several times for them to do ultrasounds to check and see if my follicles were developing the way that they should and I remember the lady saying like you just don't have anything going on and I was like well God, (laughs) yeah I mean like you said it's no compassion Mm -hmm. and your body not doing what you know it should be doing mm-hmm. and it hurts mm-hmm. because it's so many people that you also hear that they did clomid one round and it worked mm-hmm. and I'm sitting mm-hmm. here on my third round and it's not working <laughs> so I'm like okay you know for you to come in and then that's all you can say I leave out feeling hurt you know you are it's, it's hard you battle almost depression if not depression about it right 
I remember asking for it um, before I um, decided to do IVF and they told me it doesn't work for a lot of people. Wow. But I would hear a lot of women say the same thing you said that, you know, it worked. That's what I took and it, it worked. So I'm thinking, okay, well, give me some other, you know, give me some other options before I have to go through all of this. But they were like, no, that, that doesn't work on most people. So I didn't, I never even tried any of those medicines. So after you took those things and it didn't work, what did you do next? I was referred over to a specialist and then mm-hmm. we had a um, consultation with them. And then they um, decided let's first try IUIs. Okay. And so we ended up having two unsuccessful IUIs, which also sucked because you hear so many successful stories about those. Mm-hmm. And even mm-hmm. when we were in like our last ultrasound prior to them actually doing the um, procedure, he was like just saying how great my follicles looked. I had plenty of them mm-hmm. and, you know, it just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And then the nurse ended up telling me after the second failed one that she had gone through five before hers worked. Wow. I was like, God, I don't think I can do this mm-hmm. that many times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's so it the cycles go through so fast that you're back in a new cycle before you know it. Mm-hmm. So it's like you got to make a quick decision once you mm-hmm. see it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And it's all everything is timed. Mm-hmm. So. Um, if you don't do it at a particular time, you lose out and you have to wait to the next, at least for IVF, that's what happened. Because I remember me having to, before I could even take my medicine, my cycle would have to come on. I'm someone who my cycle comes on every 30 days. Like if my cycle doesn't come on, something is going on. But because I was so stressed, of trying to get it started and and wanting it to work it would stall it Mm. so if i if i wasn't in that window with the time that they needed me to be then i would have to start all over so you wait for a whole nother 30 days for your cycle to come on so every everything is timing And, and they like i said they're like okay well next and by the way this is money it's not, right. it's not like it's, they're just doing this for free. It's costing you. you know? and, and, so, and the longer you wait, the more money it costs because you have medicine that doesn't last for a certain time. So if you don't do it in that cycle, then you have to wait. And for me, it also was an increase in finances because my age was increasing. Mm-hmm. So it was going from what they were like, it's okay, we'll give you a discount if you end up having to do IVF at this age. So mm-hmm. now you're you're aged. You're at mm-hmm. this internal mm-hmm. age where you can you don't longer qualify for the discount we quoted you for before. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we were up against the clock two different ways. Mm-hmm. 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 It's it's a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Especially for you 
knowing that your body did it before. So it it doesn't make sense. Like, you right. know, you, like my body knows what to do. And as a person of faith, it's also hard because, you know, both of us, he's saying, you know, you got to speak faith, you got to speak faith. And then mm-hmm. he, these aren't working because it's going to happen naturally. And I'm like, well, maybe we just have to do everything we have to do before we say that, mm-hmm. <laughs> because, mm-hmm. you know, I want to make sure I exhaust everything that I can before I'm like, all right, God, that's it now. Come on. <laughs> it's so funny that you say that because when I was getting ready for the podcast, I went into my office to get my, I was looking for a notebook and something just drew me to a particular notebook and I opened it. And I remember when I started, cause I started in 2014. Now mind you, this is 2022. So I started in 2014 and I remember when I first started, I didn't, I didn't give my mom a lot of information about what I was doing because she just, you know, that's old school, but I kind of did, you know, want to let her in a little bit. And I remember her telling me to write everything down. And I looked in my notebook and I literally have prayers dated. The first time talks about me going in for my procedure. The second time talks about me um, um, not having the baby or not and not working like it was it's crazy so it just shows you that being someone of faith like you just have to keep going right and it's even as much as you don't want it to work I mean as much as you want it to work you just have to believe regardless to what it looks like you just have to believe so we got a baby yeah how did that happen because you had a son so how did that happen well and I have done pretty much the same as you I have tracked we had our first miscarriage in 2014 Mm -hmm. so we have also been on this journey for a long time Mm -hmm. um August of 2021 I had a chemical pregnancy where morning time I tested positive before noon. Mm-hmm. I had negative. Okay. And I remember that Sunday I said, God, if you changed your mind, it's fine. Mm-hmm. At this point, just tell me mm-hmm. and I will move on. I can concentrate on helping with my grandson and that's it. Mm-hmm. I get to church, we have a guest speaker, and before service is over, he is drawn to prophesy to me about several things. Mm-hmm. One of those things I he he said, and I just broke down because he said, God said he did not change his mind. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh my God, okay, <laughs> if you didn't change him. So for me, that was all I needed. Mm-hmm. he didn't change his mind this is his will for my life I believe it's going to happen just like I believed it every single year every single day until now mm-hmm. and I'll go however long it takes until it happens mm-hmm. the next month day 10 I got a blazing positive mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like this has never happened <laughs> where I've had uh, for sure, you can see the line on everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know that early. Um, 
and I test it every day for over 30 days. Okay. And here he is. And here he is. <laughs> Five months bouncing baby boy. <laughs> here he is and he is loud and he lets you know that he is in the room. Okay, he is. He, yeah, he is, he is a joy. So we're going to just wrap this up, but I wanted to ask you what, if you could give any advice to someone who is right where you were in 2014, what would it be? Pray because your faith will need to be strengthened as much as possible as you navigate that journey. Mm-hmm. It could be fast. It may take some time. And either way, you will need God to strengthen you as you move through because there may not be people that you can lean on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's exactly why this podcast was created. So you won't feel alone because mm-hmm. believe me, like same thing. And we were going through the same thing at the same time. Um, and we didn't really connect until towards the end of it. Um, but that's why it was created because you should not have to do this alone. And Indeed. knowledge is power. So we definitely, that's, that's what we're here for. That was a lot. It was. And thank you for having me. Thank you so (laughs) much. Um, We just want to say thank you to Tiffany Corbett for sharing her heart. And um, we hope it helped. Other than that, if you have any questions, you need to DM us, um, get in contact with her. Just let us know. Other than that, we will talk to you soon. Thank you. sharing your girl at Unwanted Sisterhood Podcast. I am super excited about today because we have a really special guest. Her name is Sarah. She has an Instagram called Journey for Jasmine and we're super excited that she's on here to share her story. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. How are you today? It's been kind of a stressful morning, but uh, we're, we're making it. <laughs> yes, I can understand that. We, um, we're so excited to have you here today. Um, just want to start out by you introducing yourself a little. Okay. Um, so, as you already mentioned, uh, my name's Sarah, and I'm 35. I'm originally from Texas. Uh, but we moved to Georgia two years ago. Um, and then I have a blog uh, and an Instagram page. Both are Journey for Jasmine that I named after my daughter, Jasmine. And um, I also do taxes and accounting as my full-time job. So the fun stuff everybody loves. <laughs> wow, so you have your hands full. Yeah, it's pretty busy. <laughs> so I always like to start out with asking my guests three 
just little icebreaker questions just to kind of get to know him. So, Waffle House or IHOP? Mm, that's a close one, but I would have to say IHOP because I really love pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> Target or Walmart? Uh, probably Target. I can't get out of there without spending like $200 every time I go. <laughs> right. Target, especially for kids, like the the little clothes. Um, I know. <laughs> they are so cute, like Cat and Jack. And I'm just realizing that, which is just a tip if you haven't heard, um, they will take Cat and Jack back up to a year. So keep oh. your receipt. Even if it's worn, they will take it back. I did not know that. Thank you for that. Yes. So that, especially because it, it gets pricey. It so. does, and I'm like, they outgrow them so fast. I'm like, I just bought you these pants, and they don't fit you. Right. So I don't know if they take the clothes and they give them to a charity or really what they do with them. But yes, and I asked Target myself because I heard it on Instagram, but you know you can't believe everything you hear. So I decided to go and ask, and they told me yes. So. Awesome. Well, thank you. <laughs> and last question, what is your superpower? Um, I think mine would be um, being able to multitask. Uh, I can do a, a lot of different things at once and still keep track of everything I'm doing, which comes in handy with work and kids and everything that I have to keep in my mind at one time. Yes, that is definitely a superpower that you need to have as a mother. Yes, because <laughs> they all like to talk to me at once. And I'm like, okay, I have to follow all these conversations. And <laughs> Right. So I was really joined because we have a lot of similarities in our story. So I was so, ex- no, I won't say excited, but it's always, if you walk this journey, you, um, most of the time you feel alone. So when you find someone that, knows how you feel without saying it makes a difference so I um I was really drawn to you because of that so I wanted to start out by asking um at what age did you start your cycle so I had uh, my first one when I was 13 um but then I wasn't having regular ones so I probably went a couple of years without having one again and then um, had another one probably uh, when I was about 16. But again, they weren't regular. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, when did you realize that would be an issue? Because you're 16, so, not really worried about, you know... Right, yeah, you're not trying to get pregnant and no. <laughs> you know, all that. It's like, oh, good. I don't have to deal with my cycle. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my um, my mom actually took me to the OB at the time or the, the gynecologist, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, they diagnosed me with PCOS. Okay. And they pretty much just said, here's some birth control. This will regulate your cycle, you know if you want to get or whenever you decide you want to get pregnant in the future just come back i mean no, nothing else no really other information or so explain to you what pcos was i mean in a broad sense mm-hmm. basically that i w- i didn't have regular cycles the birth control would give me the regular cycles and that's all 
nothing else really about it. Wow. And I'm, I'm hearing that story over and over. Um, just in my friend group alone, I have several women who suffer from PCOS or um, they suffer from endometriosis. Like, they suffer from all these conditions and they just find out in their 30s really what it is or what it means. So it's so baffling to me just all these things are going on in our bodies and we have no clue. No one's telling us, you know, until it's we very get- frustrating. Right. Cause, uh, cause one thing about having a baby is it's all time. So yeah. <laughs> if you don't find out these things early enough, it causes infertility. So I'm, I am baffled by, by our gynecologists or be like they're not teaching us um about our bodies you know and we don't learn until later that's so frustrating it is and you know as I've as I've um dealt with this for you know a while um I've done my own research and uh realized you know diet plays a huge role in PCOS Mm-hmm. But nobody ever told me that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh. I wish I had known that then. Because you could have done something about it. And that's one of the reasons why I always ask my guests when their cycle started and who educated them on their body. Because that, to me, for me, that's when it all started. And um, I didn't have the the best beginning when I when about my cycle I kind of looked at it as shame because I didn't really know and no one told me so grew in me throughout my life you know so once I did learn about my body and what it did and and what I needed to do to keep it healthy and then to make sure you know um that I could one day have about a, a baby I was 25 so it's so it's just so interesting and that's one of the reasons why I created the podcast because um infertility is is huge and so many women are being affected and they're around us and we don't even know it because we don't talk about it exactly and it's so many things like I tell I'm in the beauty industry and I tell all my clients if you are 30 and you haven't had a baby yet or you haven't found the man of your dreams, get your eggs freezed. Yeah, that's a good idea. (laughs) And that way you'll have them if you don't find the man of your dreams and you still want to be a mother or even if you wait until you're older and because 30-year-old eggs and 35-year-old eggs are different. Right. (laughs) They're different. Um... And timing is everything for us. So that that's always my advice to women. Because no one told me, you know. The only way I found out, because is when I was 25, I, even if it was a mistake, I went to the doctor and my gynecologist was also a fertility doctor. And I didn't know that. So I went for like a regular pap smear and he did ultrasounds automatically. So you know how you go to the to the doctor and you either have a 
um, normal pap smear or abnormal. That's what I was used to up until right. 25. But because he went steps further, he did an ultrasound and he said, you know, your uterus is healthy, this is healthy, but you have cysts. So if you want to one day have a child, you have to get these removed and we have to remove it now. And I was 25. So had I not went to that particular doctor, I would have never known that until oh. it was time for me to have a baby. And then when it would have been too late because I wouldn't have been able to because I had this. Right. So, yeah, all these things that should be like standard part of care just aren't. Aren't. And we got it so that we can break that cycle. So I'm I'm... I'm super excited when I find women who want to tell their story and share their story because we don't do that and it's it's time to change that. I totally agree. <laughs> so start me out or tell me um, how it began when you had your first child or wanted to get pregnant, I should say. So um, I went to um, my OB or my yeah, my OB at the time. Um, and, um, I wasn't, I still wasn't having regular cycles when I came off the birth control. So they said, um, since I had had that PCOS diagnosis that they would go ahead and give me the referral to the fertility doctor. So I, I took that referral, um, and I met with the fertility doctor. They confirmed the PCOS diagnosis, mm -hmm. um, and then suggested um, a plan of treatment, which was starting off with Clomid. So we tried that, and I did not respond. So they canceled that cycle, and then uh, the or it was like a couple months later. I think we took a month or two in between. We tried a cycle with uh, an IUI and letrozole. Okay, and so that one was not successful. Uh, and I had also started doing acupuncture at the time. Uh, so I had been doing it about six months at the time mm -hmm. and it did like amazing things, regulating my cycles. Like I credit it to regulating my cycles because I was not having regular cycles. And then all mm -hmm. of a sudden I was having like normal cycles. Mm -hmm. So I got pregnant on my own, actually the month after the failed, uh, treatment cycle. And then he was born uh, nine months later, healthy, healthy pregnancy. That part at least went well. <laughs> okay. Okay. So how long did you wait before you tried again? I think my son was about two when we decided we were going to try again. Okay. And so we went back to the fertility doctor. Uh, I went back to acupuncture and we did... Um, some failed treatment cycles. Uh, I had a chemical pregnancy on one of the cycles and then I had a miscarriage. My, um, they were monitoring my levels to make sure they were coming down and they were, but then they started going back up again. And so they had to give me a shot of methotrexate to, cause they said it, it could have been ectopic, but it, it may not have been, they weren't really sure it could have just been like retained tissue they weren't really sure why it was going back up so they gave me the shot and then I had to wait three more months to try again mm. so then we did uh one more round of treatment and at this point we were still on the letrozole but I had to add in the injectable uh, follicle stimulating hormone mm -hmm. and uh, 
yeah that wasn't fun i don't like needles <laughs> but um my husband he tried giving me the shots and then i realized it's just easier if i just learn right. to do it myself right. <laughs> they, they try me. but you know <laughs> yeah, that was me i just realized let me just get some cold peas not <laughs> myself because i had more control over it but him doing it i was like mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I was like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just get over it. I'll just do it. And, um, <laughs> and that one failed, but then I got pregnant, uh, the cycle right after that on my own. Okay. And so she, uh, everything was looking good with her. Uh, we saw the heartbeat, but then we went for our, um, 12 week ultrasound. And that's where they told us that she had what looked like a congenital diaphragmatic hernia. And that's basically where her diaphragm didn't fully form. There's like a hole on one side. And so it allows the um, her organs to push up into her chest cavity and then they crowd out the lungs and the lungs don't fully develop. So our doctor told us basically she had a 50-50 chance of making it. Didn't really okay. give much hope or many or much information about it even really. And then later on, we found out she also had um, mosaic trisomy 15, which is also another extremely rare condition. One, I mean, I think I looked it up and there was like less than 50 cases of it in the whole world. Wow. And so anyways, we ended up losing her at 32 weeks. She developed um, high drops and then uh, she was gone. Wow. So it was a, a tough pregnancy where we knew there was an issue, you know, fairly early on. But, um, you know, I chose to carry her as far as I could. She seemed to be doing well up until, you know, that that 32 week mark. And then, you know, things just kind of progressed really quickly. Wow. So, how long did you wait after her, after Jasmine? Um, I had to wait six months. And so, we, we, we waited the six months. And I did another round of fertility treatment with the letrozole and the injections. And we were fortunate that it worked that time. And then I gave birth to my rainbow baby, a daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that pregnancy went fine. I had a little bit of extra monitoring but um, they, the MFM released me in third trimester. Since it wasn't something that my body did, it was a chromosomal issue. Mm-hmm. They didn't really see the need to monitor me further after that. Mm. Okay. Wow. I'm so sorry. That's a lot. It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, now I'm also currently pregnant and I'm 32 weeks. And this one was a bit of a surprise. We didn't do fertility treatment or anything. So okay. um, it's just that isn't that so amazing how you do all these things. And then one day God just decides to surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, okay, this this baby was really meant to be, <laughs> you know? So, so far, so good. Everything looks healthy. 
yes, everything looks good. Um, I was released from the MFM again at third trimester. So now I'm just seeing my OB and um, I'm on my every two week appointments now. Um, we're having another girl. Aww. So I'll be um, my firstborn's a son and then followed by three girls. So he considers himself to have three sisters and he's like, no, not another girl. (laughs) (laughs) That's so sweet. So out of everything that you've been through, what do you think was the key for you to keep going? Like to keep trying? I think the biggest thing for me is just, despite all the fear and all the anxiety that you know, I still feel every day mm-hmm. that I didn't want to let the fear be stronger than the hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think hope is very powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's just important to not give up that there are better things in front of us. Mm-hmm. And do you have a support system around you? Like, do your, does your family understand or are they like, beautiful son you know why keep trying you have a beautiful daughter why you know or are they supportive of every decision that you've made and you know are making sure you're healthy and whole through the process they have been very supportive um I love my family I'm I I was actually really sad when we moved to Georgia because my family is still back in Texas and so I've been here you know without them Mm -hmm. and um but no they've been they've been there for me the whole time and I'm very grateful to have them and it's so important to to have a support system around you even if it's just to listen because like um my mom would tell me I really don't understand but you know you can tell me whatever it is and and just a listening ear made a world of difference because someone who has never had to worry about their body failing them or feeling like their body was failing them they don't really understand sometimes so um they end up hurting you more than helping you even if they love you they don't always know the right things to say like i've heard (laughs) I've done a whole show on what not to say. <laughs> and that's important. I mean, I really feel like people aren't aren't trying to be hurtful, but it's like, just stop and think about what you're saying. Would you right. want somebody to say that to you? No. Right. <laughs> and and the old the old thing your mother used to tell you, if you don't have anything nice to say, just yeah. don't say anything. <laughs> just don't say anything. Say, you know, you're my thoughts and you're my prayers, you know. If you need anything as far as food or can I help you in some kind of way, that, say that, do that. Yeah, that's but, all you have to do. <laughs> right. And, and let them know that you're there, but, but don't do that. And also, I think it's important for people who haven't been through loss to know that saying nothing is saying something. Right. So, right. you know, don't disappear, please. Right. Right. Just show up, you know, just be there. Hold my hand. You know, like, uh, do all those things. Um, um, and I, I found that even when I, because um, I have a seven-year-old and he's a twin. And some of my closest friends didn't call me. And what they would tell me later was, because I just didn't know what to say. And I'm like, 
all you had to do was say, pick up the phone and say, hello, I'm thinking of you. You don't have to say anything. Just show up, you know? Yeah, it doesn't have to be some profound, like, statement. <laughs> right, right. But, um, um, and it was hurtful, you know? Luckily, I had my husband and my mom um, and my closest friends, but a lot of people that I thought would be there were was not there. And it was all because they said they didn't know how to be there. So um I think I think this for a lot of people they just don't understand. And my hope is to show them, you know, and and, and kind of make them understand because it's so important because it it affects so many women and we stay silent a lot of times because of that. Right. So I, I, I want to create a safe space for that because when you're going through it, it's really hard. It's, it's really hard. It is. Mm-hmm. You feel very alone. Go ahead. I was just going to say, even if you have, you know, supportive people, it's still a really lonely time. Because mm-hmm. even my, even though my husband was there every step of the way, he, he could never understand what it truly felt like to carry two babies for nine months, feel them, hold them, talk to them, you know, he right. still couldn't under, it's not physically possible for him to understand that part of me. And he right. was there, so... It, it could be extremely lonely at times. But I'm, I'm glad you kept going because now you have your rainbow baby again. And she's <laughs> she's crazy because three-year-olds are crazy. But <laughs> but no, I, I love them. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're great. <laughs> I'm very grateful to have them. So um, do you think you'll be done or will you stay open? Uh, well, we were going to be done after our rainbow. Right. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> are you done? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I think we are done. <laughs> I think uh, giving birth to this will be my fourth child to give birth to. Um, you know, hopefully my third living child. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think each each pregnancy has been progressively harder on my body, especially you, as I uh, get older. Or vaginal. I'm sorry. Are you having C-sections or vaginal? Oh, vaginal. Okay. Yeah. But it's been, uh, it's been, this pregnancy has been better. Um, it was a little rough with my, with my rainbow. Um, just, I had like bad sciatic pain and, Mm. you know, things like that. And now, um, I was, I was 27 or 28 when I had my son and I'm 35 now. Okay. So you know, I mean, it's not, I hate it because I'm considered a geriatric pregnancy. Isn't that like, word? That so old. Like, <laughs> you sound so like, and they tell you, and they tell you like your first or second. So this is going to be considered a high risk, like for me, because it was twins. Um, this is considered a high risk. Pre- I'm like, okay. Like you're, <laughs> you're dooming me from the start. I know. I'm just like, way to make me feel old. Do I need to like, right pick out a cane to walk with or something I don't know it's just a new word because that's not working 
yeah it's the worst and i saw it like on my chart and yeah and that's what it said like geriatric i'm like i'm not 70 okay (laughs) (laughs) i'm 35 i'm still young i'm still young let me be young let me be great don't do that i know don't do that so out of everything you've been through what is the one thing you wish or you would like people to know about your journey? Um, I think the best thing for me has just been to not try to go through things alone. Mm-hmm. Because like like we mentioned, you know, loss is a lonely time. And I think that if you accept help from others when they offer it, I think that's a good thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, if it's just a, a listening ear, if it's a meal they bring to you, if it's you know, helping you clean the house. I mean, whatever it is, don't be afraid to accept it. That's huge. And then I also think educating yourself is important too, because clearly doctors won't always help you with that. No, that is, that is one of my true, like you have to be your own advocate. If I had known, you know, like my, my doctor with the with the CDH diagnosis, she basically told me nothing. So I had to go do my own research mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where I found out that there actually are specialists who can treat it. Um, you know, some of the time it's not always successful, but they at least attempt to treat it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she never told me that. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. And I don't think that's right. So no, not at all. And I'm not saying like doctors have to, doctors can't know everything, but they can at least help you point you in the right direction. And not treat um, women like numbers. Yes. Um, because even if this is something that you see every day, for us, it's not. Right. It's not. So we don't want to hear, you know, this happens all the time. This is the way of your body. We don't want to hear that. Like, we need you at, at that moment to tune into us us and not um, putting us in a pool you know yes. um, I, I think that that would be extremely important as well Mike how is it helpful to be like well miscarriage happens all the time okay but that doesn't not help me, me. <laughs> <laughs> not to me right <laughs> right so yeah that that's that is incredible where your story is so um whew, it's packed it is <laughs> it, it's packed how do you how do you get through it like um what are you using because I know you have a blog as well as an Instagram um where you are sharing your story is that a way of healing for you it is. Yes. Um, I actually, when we got the original diagnosis with Jasmine, I started writing, um, about just everything I was going through with the pregnancy itself. And then after we lost her, I started writing about that and I found writing, writing it all down to be really therapeutic for me and just sharing with other people. And then I don't know if you've seen on my Instagram, um, the other rainbow skirt stories that I share, but um i uh i i turned it into that so a way to help other 
lost moms share their stories. And I find that helpful to help other people. Great. So everyone, I just want to um, just thank Sarah so much for sharing her heart. Her story is impeccable and you know make sure you go on her instagram follow her um she has a ton of information as you can tell she is willing to share and help you if she can in any way and i just want to thank you so much sarah i appreciate you well thank you for having me on i love i mean you know love i guess is a weird word to say but i like being able to share my story (laughs) right and she's a neighbor she's right around the corner I know. How crazy is that? (laughs) Crazy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. You too.